The scripture for today's sermon comes from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 28. The word of God speaks to us like this. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. This is the very word of God to us. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. My name is Chad Puckett. I'm one of the pastors here. I would love the opportunity to meet you if I haven't already. Uh, but we're in the thick of a, a study in the book of Mark. It's because we're people who, who just believe like our hope is in Jesus, and we find out about Jesus in his word. His spirit works in us and around us, uh, but it's a word that we keep going back to. It's objective, it's true, and, and it is truly where we see him, and so we're sitting in this. If you're new with us, we're really thankful. You're, we would love to have you. Uh, you can go back online and hear where we've been up until this point, and I would just encourage each and every one of you to dive into this. So that's what we want to do. We want to dive into this book today. It's pretty strong straightforward what we're going to do. But let me just frame it up like this. Maybe you are like me and you are uh, mildly addicted to the Olympics. I am completely in. I want to watch as much as I can. I want to see all of it. I'm, I'm completely in. And not for what you might think, but I, I'm like, I'm watching Belladrome. And if you, if you know, if you know, you know, right? If you understand, uh, if you know, you know about these things. I'm watching, truly, I'm not kidding around. I was watching uh, the badminton between Hong Kong and China, and I was riveted. I was in. I'm so into the Olympics. Most of the time around the house, I, I'm truly, I'm only wearing spandex to watch this. I'm, I've got my track spikes on, and I'm, I'm into all of it, even to the controversy around uh, I, I, I shushed my daughter, one of my daughters the other day, around uh, rhythmic gymnastics and the controversy about a knot in their ribbon. Like, you just can't have a knot in your ribbon. That's not how we're going to do this. And so I am in on the Olympics. Maybe you are the same way. I am mostly into these moments of those human interest stories, right? Where, they're, where they, t they bring the tear-jerking story to light. And I, I'm like a basket case on it. My wife and I are weeping at the end of the women's marathon the other day where this girl runs her third marathon in her life and gets the bronze medal. Like, oh, this is like unbelievable. I'm, I'm weeping through all this stuff. It's those stories in which you like make it real in so many ways. And what we have in our text today is something of a human interest story. We have these human interest stories, which are, are not just like, look at this crazy thing that happens. It's also drawing your attention to look at these real people that are going through this. That's what we do. That's what we get to do. And we get to see in this text, yes, 
first and foremost, a glorious God who has come and meets us, this God that changes everything, this king who steps in and things are different because of this king. We also need to actually understand the story through the lens of real human beings and what they're going through. So last week we were talking about this guy who lives in the tombs, has been wilding out for years, is cutting himself and having all sorts of things happening. He's a desperate man. And our story today actually shows us other people who are desperate, different reasons, different circumstances, but we get this human interest story that comes out. And so what I want us to do is, is walk through this text together. This is kind of how we're going to do things today. We're going to walk through our text together. I, I want to draw your attention to this unexpected Jesus. I want to I draw your gaze to it. And then what I want to do is wrap it up by inviting you to experience this unexpected Jesus for yourself for the first time or, or, or for a fresh new time in your life where maybe you've walked away or maybe you've, you've grown cold. Maybe you just think, I don't know if God can actually do that in my life. And, and, and I want to invite you to, uh, to experience the living God fresh today. And so I want to pray for you. I want you to pray for me and we'll just step right into it. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Thank you that you have shown yourself to be true here in the text throughout history. And even today, you show yourself to be true. And we're asking, Lord, for you to continue to do that in our lives. Not one of us needs another church service. Not one of us needs to have another thing that they go to, uh, another time where we have to sit up straight. Not one of us needs any of that. What we need is to meet with you today. And so I pray, God, for your grace, for your power, for your spirit to move in our hearts and to do what only you can do, to work in our lives, to work in our hearts, to draw us from death to life, to bring hope to the hopeless and to bring healing to those afflicted. In your precious name we pray, amen, amen. So we pick it up right here in, in, in verse 21 of chapter five, and we, we have a continuation. It says, Jesus crosses the sea again. And he, he does that because where we left off last time, the townspeople were like, hey, Jesus, we need you to leave. And he does, and this is where it picks up. He crosses the sea, and one of the rulers of the synagogue comes out. So this, this person of standing, this person who is somewhat known, this kind of rock star of the day, they, they, they didn't have uh, social media influencers. They had these people. And they, this leader, one of the leaders of the synagogue shows up. He's out there and he comes to Jesus, this Galilean rabbi carpenter, this rabbi carpenter from the sticks, right? He, this guy from this place comes and he falls at his feet and you're left to asking a lot of questions of like, why on earth? That's a weird greeting. And what's happening in this moment? Why does this guy of some standing come and fall at Jesus's feet in this? And it's because this guy is desperate. He's desperate. And we've read some of this story. His daughter is sick. Now think about this. How sick does she have to be that he leaves her side and now is just out hunting for anything that would help. That's how desperate this guy is. Like she, she is 
hopeless. He's left her, and now he's scrambling. There's nothing in the text that lets us know, hey, there's a big announcement that Jesus is coming. There's this big thing. No, this guy's left. He is scrambling. He's simply hunting for anything, anything at all that would help. And here is Jesus getting off the boat. He goes right to him. He falls at his feet, and now he's begging. He's begging, and, and we get this unexpected Jesus because stranger shows up, falls at your feet, and you're like, whoa, hey, buddy, what are you doing? This is not, this is a weird deal. No, Jesus, who is king, who is God, actually knows what's going on. This guy falls at his feet, and he's like, I'll go. Let's go. Let's go and see this girl that you're telling me is as good as dead. And so they, they step out, they start to go this way. And we're told, we read this, it says a great crowd followed him. And then this awesome word, thronged about him. Like, so if you're not working thronged into your everyday uh, verbiage, like may I encourage you as one application of today to figure out how to implement this in your life. This is basically saying like the crowds are pressing in all around. There's no place to touch. Like they're just all over uh, pressing. It, it, it's all about him. And then again, we have something unexpected that happens, right? This, this, as we walk through this, we just keep seeing this unexpected Jesus. Uh, they're going now to see this sick girl, and, and, and then Jesus stops. And I feel for the dad in this moment. I'm thinking, like, what on earth is going through that dad's mind? <laughs> like, you, your sick daughter is here, and... And Jesus said he'd go, and now he stops. You're like, uh, we've got to go. You can hear the clock ticking. This guy's going crazy and, and stopping. And this is it, right? This is the moment where you, you feel all this pain for this guy. This is the yell at the screen moment in which you're thinking, you have to go. The clock is ticking. The hourglass is dropping through this. You've got to keep going. Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you stopping when the clock is actually going? But Jesus knows something that the disciples don't know, that Jairus doesn't know, that the crowd doesn't even know. Jesus knows something, and he knows uh, that there's been a healing. He knows that. And he knows that there's a woman right here. We're told that this woman's been suffering for 12 years. The crowd doesn't know this. She's covered up. We know that she has had this awful, awful affliction for, for 12 years, which isn't just a physical thing. To have what she's dealing with leads you outside of the camp. You can't go and hang out at home. You can't go to dinner with your friends. You're not hanging out with everybody. You're actually considered unclean and not to be around anyone. And so what's led this woman right into the middle of this throng and right into all of this, she has decided it's worth everything to press in and get here and touch the edge of his garment and, and to actually risk it all for this. It's, she's, she's desperate. She sought out medical help. It hasn't worked. It's actually made her worse. She's probably spent everything she has. She's on the edges. She's literally an outcast from society. And yet here she is. She's pressed in. Notice what verse 27 says. She'd heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. 
For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately. Now listen, she's not crazy. She's not crazy. This comes from the idea of touching the hem, the edge, the tassels of the garment is actually something that comes from prophecy. And so in Malachi 4, there's a prophecy to the person of faith, there's healing in the wings. And that was commonly thought of as with the rabbi's prayer shawl, here are these tassels that are coming off of it. And when the rabbi would raise their arms, it looks like wings. And so there's this common sense of like, that's where it's found. She's not crazy. She's just superstitious. And she thinks that like doing X leads to Y and then this happens. And if she just follows the plan and touches the garment, that this is going to happen in her life. And guess what? She's healed. Immediately it says she knows, she knows she's healed. The crowd's pressing in all around. This woman touches him and then bolts. You have to think she's out of there. Uh, Jesus knows exactly what happens. And, and pick it up here in verse 30. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples, as they want to do, ask a really like obvious question that we would ask as well, but they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, look at this crowd. Here's what they say. You see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? Apparently everyone is touching him. That's what we're supposed to get in this. Everyone is touching him. The disciples are beside themselves on why they've stopped and why he thinks one particular touch is different, but he's right, isn't he? He's right. And he looked around to see who had done it. See, in this, we, we get this really strange word. It talks about the power having left him. It's this word that translates for us in English to uh, dynamis, which is like where we get dynamite, like actual like power of God, the living God and power is actually left Jesus for this girl. And it heals her. It heals her. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. And here we pick it up in verse 32. He looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Just think about this for a second. Her kind of touch and run strategy Work. For her to be in this crowd is to commit a crime. This lady's been living with shame. I mean, she doesn't want everyone to know that she's been dealing with this. She's been living unclean. She's been living disconnected from family, friends, from from people in her life. And here, Jesus turns around, stops the whole parade, and he's like, who did this? And you can think, like, the hard swallow, right? The, okay. 
And she turns around and she goes and falls at his feet. And, and we should understand the fear and trembling part in this. And she tells him everything. Now, why does Jesus call her out? Why does Jesus, why does Jesus uh, make this moment happen? And what is happening here in which it's so necessary? Why does Jesus put this lady on the spot and shine the spotlight on her? It's probably a, a number of reasons, but one, she needed it. I don't want to take that lightly, but she needed it. Why does she need it? Because she's coming with this superstitious understanding, and Jesus wants to make it clear that it's not superstition that heals you. It's not any of those things. Notice exactly what he says. What does he say? Daughter, verse 34, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You see, it's not the garment that did it. It isn't, it isn't some magic that she did. It's Jesus looking at her and saying, look, it isn't any of those things. It wasn't magic that saved you. It was me. Your faith in me. This unexpected Jesus stops in the, the midst of the hurry uh, he stops in the middle of it. He calls this lady forward. She actually comes, confesses what happened, and experiences far more than just her affliction stopping. He sets her free of her shame. He sets her free in front of all these people. He sets her free from everything that she's been carrying. You see, she could have gone and just uh, touched, ran, hid, and then she has a lot of explaining to do, right? It doesn't set her free from all those fears. It doesn't set her free from what she's been carrying for years. It actually, Jesus does something far more in this woman's life that is far more beautiful. He wipes all of it away. It goes back to our word that we used last week. He redeems this really terrible circumstance in her life. He brings beauty from all this blood. He brings life where it seemed to have been long gone. He does all of that right here. And friends, we need this as well. Like we actually need this because we're just as superstitious. Oftentimes we think like if I'm just in the right place at the right time of the week and I sing the right songs and I pray the right prayer and then I, I, I actually mean it enough in my heart and I, I avoid certain things and I do right things and I get there, then somehow God's going to make it all okay in my life. And that, that's just us being just as superstitious. Jesus isn't calling you to some magic act. He's actually calling you to himself, the Messiah. The one who sets the captives free. The one who meets us in our brokenness. The one who actually brings beauty and life in the bloodiest, most messed up spots imaginable. Jesus, this unexpected one, meets us. We could stop right here, right? We could actually stop in this moment right here and just say, God, do this in our life. But that's not the end of the whole story because like there's more going on. Remember Jairus and his daughter. 
Remember the clock that's ticking in the background. And just put yourself in Jairus' shoes in terms of like he's waiting and standing there. And we've moved from just tapping your toes to like you've got to do something right now. And, and you can feel the tension rising in this entire story. Jairus is anxious on overload. But God had far more in store for Jairus and his daughter as well. He was doing something. Notice what verse 35 says. We pick up this story as it, it, it continues to roll forward. It says, while he was still speaking, while Jesus was still speaking and talking about this with this lady or whatever they were talking about, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Just like be a human being for a second. Don't jump ahead in the story. Imagine Jairus. <laughs> I, I can't imagine the frustration. <laughs> like hope is lost. Like, and then, like Jesus, you could, you were coming and you could have been there and you weren't. Where were you? Where were you when I needed you in this? Jesus gives the most unexpected answer right here in this moment. Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And, and I know my heart. Like, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, maybe later, Jesus. But right now, it's painful. Don't fear, only believe. In essence, Jesus is saying, trust me, be patient. I've got this. There's, there's no need to hurry in a world in which this guy totally feels like there's absolutely a need to hurry or there was a need to hurry, Jesus, and now there's not. And maybe that's you in, in circumstances that you're carrying. And maybe what you need to hear and what I need to remind myself of is that uh, God's sense of timing is not ours. That God's best is best. And his grace rarely operates on our timeline. Rarely operates on our timeline. In my reading this week, I came across uh, a guy that puts it far better than I could. And I think this is helpful and insightful for us. Listen to how he describes this scene. Uh, when Jesus looks at Jairus and says, trust me, be patient. In effect, he's looking over Jairus's head at all of us and saying, remember how when I calmed the storm, I showed you that my grace and love are compatible with going through storms? Remember that, Jairus? Though you, you may not think so. Remember how that was happening? Well, now I'm telling you that my grace and love are compatible with what seemed to you to be unconscionable delays. And I think about friends I have here, people I, I know who come to our church that have been waiting, that have been experiencing loss, that have longings that don't have a clock attached to them, but feel 
like time has run out. Think about people that I, I, I know broader than just our church that, that have been carrying things for a long time and asking God and, and to please God, work in this. And, and my hope is that you hear that we have a God who is able, who loves you deeply, who isn't delaying and isn't asleep at the wheel. He actually cares and his timing is different than ours. His timing is different than ours. Think about this in, in your life. It's not like God is saying, hey, I, I, I'm not going to hurry even though I love you. I'm not in a hurry. Your, your urgency is not my urgency. But I do love you. That's not what God is saying. He's saying, I'm not hurrying because I love you. And that makes all the difference because if, if we think that God shows his love simply on our timeline and, and the ways that we think, then it's going to be really hard to see God's grace. But if we, if we trust and believe that the God who hung the stars, the God who, who brought this whole thing into motion, the God who, who gives us laughter, and song, the God who invented eyeballs and sport, and he gives us all these things, that that God actually knows more than you and I do, that that God is more able than you and I are. If we can stop and say, this God is able, and his best is best, now we can actually see God's love and grace in our life and in our circumstances. I'm not telling you that's easy. But I am telling you that God is doing far more than any of these people expected and usually any of us expect. Jesus will not be hurried. And so often I feel just like Jairus, but pre precisely because of the delay here, both this father and this woman get far more than they ever asked for. Both of them get far more than anything. You see, uh, just take Jairus for a second. He came to Jesus to cure his dying daughter, but he got far more than that. He gets him, her brought back. And so let's go right to the climax of this and, and see what happens because Jesus looks at him and he says, I'm coming anyway. I'm coming anyway. When everyone else is like, okay, it's done. You don't need to come anymore. You don't even need to talk to this guy. Jesus is like, I'm coming. So verse 38 picks up our story. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion. We can understand that, right? A little girl had just died. People weeping and wailing loudly. You see, they're in this weird moment that everyone experiences if you've been around death. There's a moment where you have to walk away. You have to walk away. You have to leave the room. You have to leave the funeral home. You have to leave the gravesite. And there's a walk away moment that is painful and terrible and, and no one likes it. It's understandable why there would be a commotion, while there would be weeping and wailing. Verse 39, and when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? Again, Jesus, like, have a little sensitivity here. Like, Jesus, why are you guys weeping and wailing? Why is there such a commotion? The child 
is not dead but sleeping. And notice what they say. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him. And here's what you got to catch. This isn't the laugh of like the comedy special, the stand-up guy. This isn't that laugh. This is the laugh to keep from punching somebody. This is the make light of the tense moment. This is the, light, the, the moment where someone breaks the tension by, by just laughing. I don't know what to do. I want to punch you. But like, instead, we're just going to laugh because what you said is ridiculous. And Jesus goes right past it, right past all of it. Verse 40, he says, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Pause. We now have dead little girl. And everything about this situation is unclean. Everything about this is pulled back. Everything about her situation now is hopeless and broken and lost. And, and, and we know when people pass away, this is what happens. And now you're, you're dealing with real unclean. And what does Jesus do? He goes right to her. What seems hopeless, what is impossible, what is a completely, that's the end of the story, is not the end of the story. He went right in where the child was, verse 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. One brief pause on Jesus's bedside manner. The tenderness of Jesus in this moment takes her by the hand. He grabs hold of her. And essentially he says, sweet girl, come back. Sweet girl, come back. He could have done a million things in that. He could have spoken of it from the seaside. But instead he's so tender with her and there's something here for us, too, because maybe you feel dead. Maybe you feel untouchable. Maybe you feel like all this is going on and, I, God, I'm bleeding out. And God doesn't run. He doesn't shout. He doesn't come on your timeline or mine. But he actually comes near, and he might be saying, come back. Come back. Verse 42. Immediately, the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Amazement. Because this is not what they expected. And this Jesus is still more than we expect today. See, there are several things that are happening in this text. 
There, there's a person with a name and a status, and then there's this other person who is unnamed, this woman who's bleeding, and, and, and apparently this guy has some standing, and she doesn't. She's a cast out now, and, and guess what? Names have no meaning to Jesus. They don't, they don't matter. It's not your status that, that has any of it. Now, names we know actually mean something. Jesus gives new names. We're told that these actually are precious, but you're standing because of your name, the family you were born into, where you feel like you are in society, that means nothing to Jesus. He goes right to, to this woman who is suffering, and he goes right to this man who comes with some status. Neither are earned. Not a bit of it is earned. Not a bit of it is deserved. It's just a gracious and loving God. Another thing we see in our text right here is that unclean is no problem to Jesus. You may be here feeling like, I am too messed up, Chad. If you knew what was going on in my life, if you knew the thoughts that I had, if you knew what I've done or what I've been around, like all those things might be there where you're carrying this and you're thinking, I might be too far for God to love me. What I want you to see again and again as we walk through Mark is that there is nothing, there is no unclean that is too far for this Jesus. There's nothing that causes him to pull back. He always leans in and goes to these people. We see this again and again. It isn't just here, but we get God's heart described right here in Ephesians 2. Verse 4 says, But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with with." with which he has loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. This but God comes back again and again. Another thing we we see right here in the text is that superstition has no value to Jesus. It's not superstition that heals. You can be in the right place. You can be in the church service every week of your life. You can do all sorts of things in ritual, but it isn't ritual. It isn't superstition. It isn't magic that saves. It's Jesus Christ buried and raised. The one who gave his life for you and for me that saves. And we see that time and circumstances have no, they, they are no obstacle to Jesus. Our time, our obstacles, our anxiety, all of the things that feel like they're pressing and have to happen now are not obstacles because wind and rain are not obstacles. The sea is not an obstacle to Jesus. Demons are no obstacle to Jesus. Disease is no obstacle to Jesus. And time is no obstacle to Jesus. What you think has been stolen by time or past your spot that you need is not an obstacle for Jesus. This unexpected one who rescues and redeems again and again. We see it right here. Again, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's a gift. The gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. It's just a gift. And that gift comes when the giver decides. And so I leave you with this. 
Who in this story do you resonate with? There are a lot of people who are just watching. There are a lot of people who are just bystanders in this. There are a number of people who think it's hopeless. This is hopeless. There's no way that that girl's coming back. Maybe you resonate with the the woman who comes to Jesus and she's been afflicted with stuff for a long time. And maybe you've been carrying things. Maybe you've been carrying physical things or emotional things. Maybe you've been carrying uh, aspects of of loss and, and hurt in your life. This Jesus is able and willing. Maybe you're carrying some time crunch which you feel like it has to happen right now. And God's not operating on your timeline. And you're spinning right now. You're thinking, God, where are you? Why are you not doing this? Maybe you're like the people in the room with that girl and just it's hope is lost. I don't even know where to place my hope anymore. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're carrying. But I know we have this Jesus It is at work in ways that are unexpected. And I believe with everything in me, with everything I read in this text, and with everything I've seen, that this Jesus still works, and he still sets free, and he still amazes by his grace. Will you pray with me?